Blog Talk Radio. Way in Sports Talk. Today is Wednesday, December 18th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564 or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino or follow us on Twitter at Way in Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, and welcome, everyone, to Win Sports Talk. Trey will not be with us tonight. I tried to get Colin Coward on, but I got Jonathan Miklos, the next best thing. So Jonathan's going to be with us tonight. And ironically, you know, Trey's a Florida State fan. I'm an Auburn fan. Well, Jonathan's a Florida State fan. So maybe it's uh, one of these things we have Jonathan on. Maybe because he's just a Florida State fan. What do you think, Jonathan? Oh, well, you know. I guess we have to have both sides of the argument when when we do debate the game. That way it's fair because without Trey or myself, it's kind of just everybody believing what you're saying because there's nobody to rebut it. Yeah, exactly. And, well, I mean, we have to be neutral here. So we have to be – we have to look at a game. Jonathan, we have to view it from the eyes of not a fan but as an analyst. So it'll be fun to see – when we do talk about this game, who's going to win, who we think is going to win, because you never know. I'm surprised you picked Florida State. You just never know. But, man, I don't know if you're watching it or not. I don't talk much about NBA just yet, but I don't know if you're watching the Pacers and the Heat game. I mean, is that where Paul Ewing is right now? He's he's crying because the Indiana Pacers are up 11 and a half time over the Miami Heat. <laughs> you know... <laughs> This game started out just looking absolutely terrible. I believe it was two to two with like two and a half minutes into the first quarter, and then it just went. But everybody's like, "Oh, we can actually like put the ball through that round thing, and we get points." What is this? I, oh man, the the Heat do not look prepared tonight, and I I think this is the year that Indiana finally gets to the finals. But it is December. I'm gonna not guarantee that. Yeah, I'm not going to guarantee it, but I'm all about momentum, Jonathan. And when I watched last season, you know, there's a recipe. It's like Nick Saban, you know, what's the recipe to beat him? Well, we found it, and we knew it all along. But I think the Indiana Pacers, they have the recipe. They have the weapons to be able to dethrone the Miami Heat. And and you never know what can happen. It's a long season. But LeBron James is 30 now, Jonathan. He's he's no spring chicken. So, you know, he has some mileage on those tires, and that could – Okay. He's already hurt. He got hurt last night, didn't he, or the day before? Yeah, he rolled his ankle. Now, for anybody that's played basketball, you roll your ankle, it hurts that night, the next day it usually feels better. When you're LeBron James and you have a hyperbaric chamber in your house, it hurts tonight, you go home, you wake up from your power nap, and it feels like nothing ever happened. So I think he's, gonna, I think he's just fine. We saw it with a fast break dunk earlier where I think he almost jumped over the rim that, you know, that ankle is showing no negative side effects. And that's why he's playing tonight. It's December. If it was bad, he wouldn't play. 
Exactly. We've all, I mean, playing baseball, football, basketball, you you twist things. And, you know, when you're young, they hurt for a little while. But when you have money, Jonathan, you anything can, can be treated, man. So these massage therapists, these guys have the equipment, the money they put in the medicines and things, man, you should play with two broken arms. That's what I think. Anyway, mm-hmm. man, we're on the football, and, and we're going to talk NFL first, Jonathan. We're going to start talking some NFL maybe some current events, and then get in some college football, if that sounds good. It sounds fantastic to me. Well, Trey picked us out some games, but before we do that, I mean, this – and I have to get online here, and maybe I'm premature in doing this, but the Baltimore Ravens, Jonathan, they they kind of scare me right now. Just seeing at this time of season, they're 8-6. and six, they're, They've won four in a row. I mean, is this team really for real, Jonathan, or are they just – trying to make everyone wonder what they're going to do because the closer it gets to the playoffs and the closer they are from getting in, I mean, if any AFC AFC team out there is not worried, they should be, don't you think? Yeah. Baltimore, it's funny how last year they kind of backed the way into the playoffs losing four of their last five. And this year, if they went out, they win the division. Uh, It's it's just been stunning how this team continues to pull off miracles, you know – uh, they have the momentum. They have the luck. When's the luck going to run out? And I think the only team right now in the AFC that is hotter than Baltimore might be Kansas City because that offense is exploding on everybody. Yeah, that could be a great game to watch, Baltimore and Kansas City. Well, speaking of Kansas City, Jonathan, why now? Why why towards the end of the season? Why, what happened to make this, this Kansas City offense explode? I mean, after all, you have Alex Smith as quarterback. He's not a big play type of quarterback, but this offense, I mean, what they put a half a hundred on Oakland the other day, and I mean, I don't mm-hmm. care who you are, you put up 50 in the NFL, that's saying something. I think they finally have their chemistry down. That was one thing that I noticed, and I, I'm going to be honest, I noticed it because I had Dwayne Bone, one of my fantasy leagues, and I'm sitting there going, why is there no production coming out of him? They didn't seem to be on time. The chemistry wasn't there. And we saw it click a couple weeks ago against San Diego, even though they lost the game, the offense put up 38 points. They're, they're, that chemistry there, it's finally clicked in place. And I'm, it is a work of art. Jamal Charles, if Peyton Manning wasn't on the you know, pace to break every record for you know, passing ever by a quarterback, Jamal Charles would probably be the leading MVP because just what he did receiving last week, he had four touchdowns. You know, he's one of the <laughs> smartest running backs I've seen when he utilizes his blockers. Great vision. He's set up. Uh, on the third and 19 screen, so two defenders get taken out by one lineman and then ran, you know, 40 yards for a touchdown. It's genius the way Charles has been able to do this. And you got to remember, he wasn't really utilized that much at Texas. You know, he was in a timeshare. That's stunning, really. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, I, I favor Kansas City right now. And I know two of their three losses is to Denver, but, I favor mm-hmm. Kansas City in the playoffs, Jonathan. I just think right now they're clicking at the right time, and I see Denver maybe taking a small step back. I agree. I, you know, Denver, it looks like that team's starting to break down. Welker will not play again this week is what they're saying. Um, you know, they really can't run the ball. You know, Marino can get it done, but that offensive line is really not set up for it. And I think once you get into the playoffs – and we get these snow games, you can see some trouble with Peyton. I think Kansas City, you know, they are my favorite in the AFC right now. 
um, to get to the Super Bowl. Well, Jonathan, let's let's take a call real quick. We have a, a caller from the two five six area code. You're on way in sports. Who's this? Hey, what's up? This is Bertram. Hey, Bertram, how's it going, buddy? All right, pretty good. I just I know I'm a, I, I don't know what y'all were talking about earlier, but I wanted to ask about the decommits from Alabama. Um, do you think um, what's the problem going on with the, the defensive backs that are decommitted? Well, I think that's, what, three or four in the last month, right, Bertram? Yeah, three. It's, um, yeah, three. Steven Roberts, um, another kid mm-hmm. from Georgia, and Hootie Jones um, decommitted today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that – well, Jonathan, I'll ask you first. Um, what do you think is going on in Tuscaloosa? They're losing some big-time players, and, and granted, they are stacked with talent, but, I mean, it's, I don't know what's going on, man. Are these recruiters, are they losing this touch? What's going on? I don't know if Saban's losing his touch. Um, what I will say is there's going to be positions open next year in Alabama secondary. Uh, and I think that these recruits backing out, it does make me a little nervous. But I think this is what you're going to see from a high school recruit now, uh, you know, before February. They're all going to be flip-flopping all over the place. And those kids have left, you know, have opened the door again because – Auburn's in the national championship game. Florida State's in the national championship game. They were kind of nervous about Saban leaving. And people, it's interesting how high school kids nowadays are thinking with the recruitment process where it's like, well, I'm not tied down. This isn't dating in high school. You're committing to something for four years. You're, You're marrying a school. So I love how these kids are trying to sample it all and then before they pick one. But those are the same kids that I wouldn't trust to come to my program. And I think that's what we're starting to see is a lot of these coaches see these kids decommitting so quickly that coaches are starting to take a step back and go, do we really want this kid here? Is he here for the, you know, for the school to play football for us, or is he here as an audition for the NFL? And that still means a lot. Colleges are not here to put you in the NFL. Colleges are here to win national championships. Well, well Bertrand, what are your thoughts on, on why these guys are decommitting? Well, my my whole thing is like it started from the 2000, you know what I'm saying, the 2013 class that came um, this year. It, uh, number five for Alabama was a converted wide receiver, and during the spring game, it was a lot of talk about him getting a lot of playing time this year. And we pretty much see, you know what I'm saying, how that worked out for Alabama. It's like the secondary was like one of the most poorest parts of the team, mm-hmm. but for some reason, they either red-shirted a lot of them. A couple of people red-shirted. And for some reason, Geno Smith, see, like uh, he was in the doghouse a lot. And that was a, one of the most coveted uh, recruits in the twenty um, in the 2011 class. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just confuses me on why, you know, Nick Saban, the secondary, that's his baby. Bro, over any mm-hmm. position, you know what I'm saying, on the team. But it seems like yeah. that's the um, position that has the most attrition. And three DBs come in like they weren't five star; they were four stars. But those those three um, were pretty good players, and I think they would have had a chance to, you know, what I'm saying, make an impact this year. You know, what I'm saying with Alabama. Hey, hey mm-hmm. Bertram, I want to ask you while we're on Alabama. I don't know if you heard, but DJ Petaway. Is the, he's the guy that was kicked off for robbery and assaulting a, a 
a student on campus. He's coming back to Alabama. I mean, what does this say? Are you surprised that this is happening? Um, I don't. I didn't. Well, I didn't really pick up on the legal part of what happened after they got kicked off the team. So maybe something happened legally to where he got a zonified, You know what I'm saying? From the situation. To me, that draws red flags because. He was one of the people that was probably going to play this year. And so him coming back, you know what I'm saying, it's going to draw a little scrutiny, but hopefully legally everything will be okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I see a lot of chatter going on. And, hey, man, I appreciate you calling in. Anything else you want to touch on? Nah, just War Eagle. Um, January 6th. <laughs> Can't wait to um, see my boys in Pasadena. All right, me too, buddy, and good to talk to you, Bertram. Tell everybody to to tune in and, and call in, and I appreciate you, man. Uh, Bertram was on the SEC fan page on Facebook. I ran into him. He's a big Auburn fan, so good to have you on, Bertram. And, and Jonathan, he made some good points, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, about the, the decommitments. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you heard about Auburn today. They picked up four Jucos, and they're all number one at their positions. That's that's pretty amazing mm-hmm. what Gus Malzahn is doing recruiting right now. It, well, it is, but you know, if you're an Auburn, you if you're an Auburn fan, you have to come to expect that you're going to have a lot of JUCO players come in. Malzahn's kind of set the standard now with Cam and with Nick Marshall. Now, I'm not saying all your quarterbacks are going to be, but Malzahn's going to go after the best JUCO talent because he knows it it can work, and these kids are going to want to listen. That's what a lot of people forget. You're getting these Juco kids. You're getting kids that already blew their chance the first time and know they can't screw it up this time. And that's why they've become such great players and such great sponges. Yeah. It's because they don't want to screw up. And that's, you just get phenomenal players when you do that. That's why I lo- and I love hearing guys giving them a second chance in big programs like this. Yeah, I mean, Malzahn even said it today, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but, but Jonathan, he said now he can open his offense up. Auburn's been missing that big, tall receiver. This guy's six four, and mm-hmm. and Malzahn says he's a game changer. That's how big he is, and what kind of a receiver. I'm just very thrilled that he hung on to him because he was kind of leaning. He was an LSU commit. He committed to Auburn, and then you never know when signing day approaches with these JUCOs. Anything can happen. But we'll talk about that. And again, Bertram, uh, thanks for joining us. And back to the NFL. We were talking about the the Baltimore Ravens right now. They seem to be catching fire. But, you know, we're going to go through our list of games here. We're not going to go through everything, but we want to talk some NFL football. But first, Jonathan, did you see the hit on the Cincinnati punter on Sunday night football in the Steelers game? My God. I I did see that hit. Um, And I'm going to be honest with you, as soon as I saw it, my first reaction (laughs) was, that's a penalty. I don't know why, yep. but I hate that. And I, I hate that I'm saying that. But as soon as I saw that, I go, this kick's coming back. That's an illegal hit. Yeah, you know, he's going to get fined. I didn't realize he'd get fined twenty five grand, but I, I knew mm-hmm. he was going to get fined. I mean, and the rule is so stupid. It is so dumb. Uh, Pat McAfee can lay you out, but you can't hit Pat McAfee. That makes no damn sense. If the kicker's allowed to tackle, you're allowed to knock him out. I mean, come on now. Yeah, but it was helmet. He hit him. He broke his jaw, so that means you had to hit him with your and helmet. And a vertebra really. in the neck. Yeah, and, and in the neck. I mean, I, oh. I look, look, I understand they're on the field, but, like, 
who was it, Aaron Murray last year in the in the uh, SEC championship game against Alabama. They teach you head on a swivel. You have to, but you throw that pick, your head's down a little bit, somebody almost kills you. Well, punters, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw in the in the Iron Bowl, Stephen Clark, Auburn's punter, put a lick on Alabama, which it didn't even phase the Alabama guy, but it almost killed our punter. Uh, these yeah, punters huh? aren't. They can't take. They they can't take contact and hitting somebody like that. To me, Jonathan, I think it's coward. I, I think he's a coward for doing it. I would have flagged mm-hmm. him, kicked him out of the game, and fined him a hundred thousand because he intended, I think, to hurt the guy. And there's no point mm-hmm. in that. That's like slapping a girl or something mm-hmm. and thinking she can, she's going to fight back. So I, I disagree with you a little bit on that. But where are the officials when this happens? I know they came out and said it was illegal. They find it, but where are they in this game? So, you know, and, 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 and I, I, I want to tell you, I agree with you. I think that that, hit, that, was a, that was a real coward move. Just block the punter. You don't need to kill him. You know, uh, you know I, I mean, let him play, but I disagree completely with the hit. You know, he, he clearly was launching his helmet through the guy's jaw. You know, you, you can't do that. And the fact that he was a punter just makes him look even worse. Like you said, it's like slapping a girl. You know, and the officials, I'm trying to figure out, like, you guys knew that was illegal. You saw the replays. You knew everybody was sitting there going, where's the flag? The announcers are going, there's a flag. And everybody said, wait, what do you mean there's no flag? I, I, I don't get it. Or the, you know, I'm still trying to figure out, are, are the refs getting paid off? I swear they're getting paid off in most of these games now. Well, it seems like they ha- they have to be almost. I mean, the officiating has gotten so bad. I was worried in the national title game who it was going to be, and thank God it's the Big Ten officiating crew. Those are the only guys too dumb to take payoffs and and follow gambling. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm glad to see them in the game actually. But let's let's hit these games real quick. The Chicago Bears, mm-hmm. Jonathan, eight and six on the road. It's a night game Sunday night in Philly. The eight and six Eagles. Uh, this is a huge game. I mean, this game right here, the reason they put it at night, it's a huge game. Can the Eagles at home, where they haven't played as well, Jonathan, can they pull off a win and beat the Bears? You know, it's a tough pick for me. I think this is going to be a great game. I'm really excited to see how many points are scored. Uh, I think the lack of defense in this game is, is going to be ridiculous. Um, I'm going to take the Eagles in a shootout. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. And the Bears, I mean, they can lose the division because Green Bay, believe it or not, can win this thing now. Oh, definitely. And you have the Green Bay Packers, Jonathan. Uh, the Detroit Lions had a, had their chance. They've choked. Everybody's had a chance to put this team away, and they can't do it. They're a game back right now. And if you're telling me, when is Aaron Rodgers coming back? Is he coming back this Sunday? They're not sure with Rodgers and Randall Cobb. They're saying Rodgers, if I'm not mistaken, was cleared to practice, but they they're not positive they want to bring him back this week because if he takes one wrong hit, it could end his career. Because they they're not sure that this bone is set correctly. Um, you know, Randall Cobb, they're saying is probably going to be back, and I think that Randall Cobb alone will be huge. Rodgers will probably win this division for him. Well, I mean, Aaron Rodgers gets back in, and this there's a cushion like this. They're probably going to make the playoffs. But looking at the Philadelphia Eagles right now, you know, one game losing streak. The Bears have won two in a row. I just feel 
and it, and it, it has nothing to do with analyzing it or anything, this time of year, I think it's time for Chicago to go on the road and pull out a big win because I think they realize that the only way they're going to be able to get in is to win out. They can't depend on anybody else to lose. They can't do that. They have to control their own destiny, Jonathan. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Chicago in the upset on the road in Philly. Philadelphia at okay. home this year is 3-4. and four. The Bears are 3-4 and four on the road. I don't know. I just have a hunch on this one. I'm going to pick the Bears. I'm going to go against you on this one. All right. You know, I like I said, this is going to be a close game. It's going to be fun to watch. You know, I just I don't trust Jay Cutler yet. That is my biggest thing. You know, I, we saw it last week where he threw two early interceptions against Cleveland, and then needed a fourth quarter comeback to win that game. He still makes me nervous, and I don't think he comes back to Chicago next year unless we win the Super Bowl. That could be right, and I don't know who Paul's picking in the chat room in there. He's picking the Philadelphia Eagles. And I wish Cuervo was on because, you know, he's a Bears fan. He would give us his unbiased opinion, right, Jonathan, of who's going to win this game. But uh, uh, anyway, the next game, <laughs> the net, now, Cuervo is, is impartial now. I've seen him pick against the Bears several times, and he's a realist. But the next game's really intriguing me right now. We have the New England Patriots, Jonathan, 10-4. and four. They're probably in the playoffs automatically. We're not worried about that. But they're going to Baltimore, 8-6 and six Raven team, in a must-win situation. And, man, I hate to say it. I, I hate to pick against Baltimore right now, Jonathan. That's how much I'm feeling them. I mean, Tom Brady's pissed. He had a, He's mad about that Miami loss. But is being angry going to be enough to go on the road and beat Baltimore, a team that doesn't lose at home, really? I mean, Baltimore's been great at home this year. If I'm not mistaken, they're 6-1. and one. Um yep. You know, they've done, done a great job. They're going to be – Ray Rice, if they let Ray Rice run the football, he's going to rush for over a buck and a quarter. Uh, New England is dreadful stopping the run. Without Gronkowski, uh, New England really can't stretch the field. And if you watch the Baltimore-Detroit game, Jimmy Smith was on Calvin Johnson. The, the three big catches that Calvin really had – they were in a zone coverage. Man, to man, Jimmy Smith shut down Calvin Johnson, and the week before he shut down Josh Gordon. You know, this week, he was, you know, who's he going to stop? Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman? They're nothing compared to Josh and Calvin. I think Baltimore wins the game on Justin Tucker's, uh, uh, you know, right foot. Yeah, I just don't see Tom Brady. Excuse me if you hear a little uh, pit bull in the background right now. Hopefully my wife can get him <laughs> under control for a moment, but – I just don't see Tom Brady losing two in a row, and and maybe this is a game, and I think New England realizes that too, just for the AFC in general. Please knock these guys out, because if they get in the playoffs, miracles happen. They remind me of Auburn this year, uh, what they did last year, so do not let them in the playoffs, and they can't win it. So I think New England and Tom Brady go on the road and get a win, Jonathan, and it's going to be by a field goal. It's going to be a very close game, but I, I think New England – Picks up 59-yarder instead of a 61 to beat the Ravens. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Paul, Paul's picking the uh, New England Patriots as well. I don't know if that's a good sign. We're on the same page on that one. Uh, the next game, <laughs> it's big for the Green Bay Packers. The Steelers 6-8 and eight on the road. They still have a little chance, a small chance, Jonathan, to – to maybe sneak somewhere into the playoffs. You know, the AFC, you never know what can happen. But the Packers are at home. They're 7-6-1. and one. Tell us about the Green Bay Packers this week at home. 
There's no point spread on this game. Yeah, that was the one thing that kind of threw me was there was no spread. And I understand why there's no spread. And it's just like last year with the Dallas game. It opened at 10. They took it off the board and brought it back at 6 and it moved down to 4. Um, you know, everybody's still waiting for Rodgers. And I think I think Pittsburgh realizes that they're shot in the playoffs and they're done. You know, they have a 1% chance, in my mind, to make it mathematically. It might be higher. But, you know, for Pittsburgh to get in, you need the Dolphins to lose out. You need Baltimore to lose out. You need the Jets to win out, and you need the Chargers to win out. <laughs> Are you kidding? That and did they need to win out? Are you Pittsburgh? I think understands their season's done. You know, and yeah. gotta give the Steelers credit. They fought through a lot of injuries this year, but at the end of the day, I think Green Bay guts out another victory at home in Lambeau. Yeah, I mean, wow. I, the Pittsburgh Steelers, my hat's off to them for what they accomplished. Right? What they start zero and six or something like that, or yeah, zero and five. Zero and five. I mean, but a phenomenal finish to the season. I mean, I don't think they're going to go into Lambeau in December and pull off a win. Honestly, I think the Packers take a lot from that Dallas game. They got behind big early on the road. And they rallied. I mean, a lot of times you'll see a team take that momentum on to the next week. And I, I just think the Pittsburgh Steelers, after beating Cincinnati, I think that was their, their playoff game in their mind. They want to beat their rival. The Cincinnati Bengals uh, cause them some problems. But I don't think they, they think they can go into Green Bay and win this game. With or without Aaron Rodgers, I'm picking Green Bay. Eddie Lacy is a man, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. The, the performance he put on that second half last week, <laughs> this is why Eddie Lacy about so much. When he slid the Green Bay, they thought they had died. He is a grown ass man. He is a phenomenal running back for um, for the Black and Blue Division. It, you know, that is what they call the NFC North. He's going to grind out those tough yards. If he can stay healthy, he's going to have a phenomenal career in Lambeau. I mean, how in the world – I mean, I watched him play in college, and you did, and we, we, we watched football. We watched the way – he's an NFL running back, and how he fell that far in that draft. You know, some owners have to be kicking themselves, Jonathan, for not, for not actually going out and, and taking an SEC running back from Alabama that you could tell – I knew he was going to be better than Mark Ingram. It wasn't even a question. Trent Richardson's mm-hmm. been a disappointment, but Eddie Lacy is going to be a very successful NFL running back, and Green Bay's got something. Have you noticed? They're they're a real team now because they can run the football. The defense is getting oh. better now. They have a tougher identity, don't they? It seems like to me they go out a little tougher than they did last year because they can run the football now. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Rodgers doesn't get hurt, Green Bay's probably the two seed in the NFC. You know, and I'm I, I'm not trying to say that Ron Rogers is the best quarterback in the game, but Rogers is a top four quarterback. Let's not forget that. And when he went down, everybody was like, "Oh, it's over. Season's over. Pack it in. Green Bay's done." And Eddie Lacy has carried this team on offense. He's been grinding out tough yards. You know, when it comes to goal, you know, goal to go situations, you knew they were going to give it to him, but he'd still get in the end zone. You know. And, you know, not not to really jump off too far, but you brought up Trent Richardson. When you watch the Colts game, I want you to watch how pathetic the offensive line is blocking-wise. They try yeah. to run Richardson up the middle every play, and he gets stuck because the center and the guard get no 
push. Uh, Richardson was a really good running back at, Green, at Cleveland, and he was injured because they had a good offensive line. Indianapolis needs to build that offensive line back up because it is a joke. Yeah, I mean, Trent Richardson to me, and I, I've stated it even when he was at Alabama, is one of the best running backs I've ever seen. I mean, he's explosive, he's powerful, he's smart, he's got good vision. I mean, but here it is. If you don't have a good offensive line, unless you're Barry Sanders, you're not going to make it in this NFL this day and age. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You put you put Richardson on a team with a good offensive line, he's going to do good, and he's going to stay healthier. So, Trent Richardson, I don't know if he's just going to give up, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I think a lot of people have been down on him. And I thought he was going to do better going to the Colts, but one thing I didn't look at, I didn't look at that offensive line of the Indianapolis Colts. So, um, let's move on right quick to a game that's going to – I think it's going to be a blowout. Tell me if I'm wrong, Jonathan. The Cardinals 9-5 on the road at Seattle. I mean, this is a place, if you're in the NFC, you don't want to go right now. The Hawks are going to have, number one, they're going to have home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs. And I just don't know if anybody can beat them there, Jonathan. So I'm going to pick a blowout in this game. I think Arizona gets pistol-whipped in Seattle. Last time I checked, the spread was ten and a half, and I thought that was a little generous. Seattle has covered every spread but two at home in the past two years. That two being Tampa Bay this year and Tennessee. The Tennessee game was atrocious, and the Tampa Bay game, I don't even think Seattle came, you know, came up the tunnel for the first half. Right. Seattle at home is just a different animal. That crowd is so loud. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to, as much as I really do not like the Seahawks, I'm going to have to pick them here to win this game. And by all rights, it's going to eliminate Arizona from playoff contention. You know what? Hats off to Arizona on a phenomenal year. Anything over 8-8 eight and eight was, was going to be a good year for Arizona. They got nine wins with a possibility of 10 uh, when they host San Fran next week. I mean, you know, Carson Palmer's dead. Not so fast, so give Carson Palmer offensive line and Larry Fitzgerald, and you'll see, you know, the old Carson Palmer. Yeah, I I really like this Arizona football team, man. I really do. But this is a bad week to play the Seahawks. If if you're Arizona, maybe you call Seattle and you you beg Pete Carroll just to to rest all of his starters, I mean, and and just to not play him. And you never know what can happen, Jonathan. You never know when a team will do that. If they look at the playoff picture and they need somebody to lose, just say Seattle looks and they're like, we do not want to play Green Bay, and they kind of let Arizona go. I mean, you just never know. This division is stout. I mean, it's tough from top to bottom. St. Louis is 6-8, and and they're the worst team in that division. But this is it for Arizona, but a great job by this team. I mean, I didn't see them winning this many games. Uh, I'm just very impressed. So everybody's picking Seattle, so we're just going to have to go with that. Now, another intriguing matchup. This is the number two game, the Indianapolis Colts, 9-5, and five, on the road at Kansas City. I just, I just don't have any faith in this Indianapolis Colts team, Jonathan. I look at their division right now. I mean, you look how weak it is. I mean, Tennessee, Jacksonville, and Houston, those are the bottom feeders of the NFL, and they're all stacked in this division. And Indianapolis better think be better be thanking their lucky stars that they're in this division. No way they go to Kansas City and pull this win off, John. This one, I'll say I'm blowout alert. This is gonna get ugly. Indianapolis's defense is not that good. We saw that when 40, when Cincinnati hung forty two on them. They're they're not that good. Uh, they only have one receiver in T. Y. Hilton, 
they're going to be able to, Kansas City's going to be able to shut them down. And Kansas City has a great pass rush with Tom Bahali and Justin Houston. I think this one gets early, gets ugly early and fast. It's going to be a blowout of mass proportions. I cannot believe Indianapolis is already clinching the division. They're going to clinch the division. That is pathetic. We talk about the NFC East being the worst division in football. That's a lie. It's the AFC South. Houston, who hasn't won a game since week two. Now, I understand Houston has a lot of losses where they lost at the wire and they've lost by less than a touchdown. But they can't buy a victory at this point. Jacksonville, you're kidding, right? Jacksonville is a better record than Houston. And Tennessee, who you got to give Tennessee credit. They've, they've probably exceeded expectations this year. This is a team coming in where a lot of people like myself are just going, what do we expect? What are they going to do? And a lot of people in Tennessee are coaching for their jobs. But it is a pitiful, pitiful decision. I mean, this is Well, this is Jonathan, sad. Jonathan, I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about going to a Tennessee game and a Houston game and dressing up as each fan base and putting a bag over my head just like everybody else is. What do you think? You think that would be fun? You might as well go to the Tennessee-Houston game and wear a Jaguars jersey. People will applaud you. Yeah, Jaguars four and ten. I mean, that's four more wins than I predicted them. So, uh, great job there. But the Colts are going to get. I mean, man, this team is bad. I, I, you know, I was a believer in them early when I saw them beat Seattle. Uh, they beat Denver. They beat San Francisco, and then they can't even beat themselves now. I mean, this it's terrible. I have no idea how this team's going to do in the playoffs once they get there, except an early elimination. So. I'm going to pick Kansas City. You're picking Kansas City. And I believe Paul is going to pick Kansas City. Um, Yep, he did. Kansas City it is. And now the number one game, I'm licking my chops, Jonathan. I've been seeing it for weeks out. I've been waiting on this game. I was hoping the Panthers could go on the road to the Saints and win. But as as I found out, you don't beat New Orleans there. It's just not going to happen. I I finally accepted that, and I moved on. But here's Carolina. 10-4, 10-4, and four, the Saints 10-4. and four. This division comes down to this Sunday, and what a phenomenal game this could be, Jonathan. At Carolina, can the Saints shake off the – get the monkey off their back on the road and beat Cam Newton and these Panthers? I just, It's going to be a tough game. Funny, I told a lot of people last week before uh, New Orleans with the St. Louis that um, New Orleans is going to lose the division, you know, in St. Louis. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I go, New Orleans is going to go to the Rams. They're going to lose. They always, for some reason, when they go to St. Louis, it is a disaster. Then they're going to go to Carolina, and they're going to get drugged through the mud because of what happened on Sunday night a couple weeks ago. And that's exactly <laughs> what I'm predicting. Carolina, front seven continues to impress me. New Orleans, I don't think defensively can do anything to stop them. I'm seeing a Carolina victory by 10 points, if not more, this is going to be a fun game to watch. And, you know, Gruden's going to be salivating over Luke Keekley all night long. Well, this is this is not a Monday night game, is it? This is a, just a regular Sunday afternoon game, isn't it? I thought it was a Monday night. It ought to be the Monday night game. No, it's 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern. It's a 1 o'clock game. Yeah, that's. That's crazy. Uh, but, look, no, this is a game. And tell me tell me if I'm wrong on this. Just tell me. Mm-hmm. Cam Newton has a chance to really, really make a name for himself. If he beats the Saints and he wins next week and wins this division, I mean, 
this is his third year in the NFL. On Carolina was the worst team in football. They got the number one pick. They got Cam, and in three years, he could take them to a 12 and four record and win this NFC South division. I mean, this is his chance. If he loses this game. I think they lose a lot of respect in a way. But if he wins this game, and I think he will, this crowd's going to be electric. Um, I mean, I don't know when the last time Carolina was cheering to win a division, but it's been a long time. But I, I mm-hmm. think this is Cam Newton's game, if he does get Jonathan, to really set himself, you know, in a top ten quarterback, really, or maybe even the top five. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think Cam is already a top ten quarterback. And with a win today, I mean, a, a win Sunday, he could bump himself to number five. You know, uh, obviously he has competition there, but he could. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be a huge game. I think this, this is probably going to be the loudest. We've heard this Carolina crowd since 2005 when, um, I don't know if you remember, but they skull drug Atlanta 44-6 to and still managed to move to the division because my Bucks beat the Saints that same day. Um, I, I, I just don't see Carolina losing. I think Carolina is the only team in the NFC right now that can match up against Seattle man for man because of defense. Beginning of the year, Seattle yep. went to Carolina 112 to 7. I don't think Carolina was ready at the beginning of the year. I think Carolina now against Seattle now in Carolina, Carolina wins that ball game. And I think when we get to playoff time and the NFC Championship game, oh my goodness, I would hate, hate to be on that field because it is going to be a hard hitting game. You're going to see broken bones, missing teeth. People are going to have. Eyes so black that you think the eye is gone. And that's going to be a great football game if we get the chance to see it. Yeah, and, and this game, and, and I believe, you know, watching Carolina, I think they're going to put that, the ball in the hands of the quarterback. And I, I think Cam Newton's going to run the football more in this game. And I think looking at the Saints, their defense has improved. But let's face it, they're not a road team, and they can't stop the run. Uh, with a triple option threat. I mean, Cam Newton with his own read, Jonathan, is is amazing. I mean, the way he can run the ball. If he's healthy, he looked like he was banged up a little bit last week, but maybe that's part of a show. But the Carolina Panthers are going to take care of business Sunday at home, and Drew Brees is going to make the playoffs, but it's going to be a wild card, I believe. I I just don't think Mm -hmm. that they can win in Carolina. And I've been saying it. I didn't predict Carolina to win this division preseason. I didn't. But, but once I saw the way they came back after the Buffalo game and the way they played, they, they choked a game away against Seattle. They had a chance to win that one and Buffalo. But the only team that's really beaten this Carolina team is the Arizona Cardinals. So they played good football, and I'm excited to see a 10-4 and matchup. This is a, a playoff game right here. So John, Paul's picking Carolina. I'm picking Carolina, and you are. So you're saying 10 points. I'm, I'm going to be with you on this one. I think I think they get on them early. And I think Cam Newton has one of the best best games of his career right here against the New Orleans Saints. So that takes us through the NFL. Are there any other games you want to talk about real quick in the NFL? I do. I do. I have an upset alert. I have, I have my upset alert for the week. Washington is going to beat Dallas Sunday. I'm calling it right now. Kirk Cousins is going to throw for 300 yards, four touchdowns, and they're going to beat Dallas. I think Dallas is a disaster. After what I saw yeah. last week against Green Bay, I was mortified. I mean, I'm watching the game going, I cannot believe I bet Dallas to win this game. I didn't even bet them to cover the spread. I bet a money line. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, they're going to chuck this away. Jason Garrett 
is going to throw this literally throw this game away by Tony with Tony Romo. Romo, it's a run pass option. Run the ball. You don't have to throw it there. And even then, it's like you know what? You hit the you, you pick the right route to throw it. He made an awful awful throw. I mean, if you're Dallas, you blow this roster up. It's over. It, it is beyond over. Jason Garrett needs to go. He's not a head coach. He's a puppet. All right. Tony Romo obviously cannot get it done. There's something with him. He just can't figure it out. You have a good running back in DeMarco Murray who was 134 yards of 18 carries, and you stop running the ball. Why? What sense? None. I'm mean, blown up. Blow it all up. Jonathan, you sound like a guy that lost money on Dallas last week. <laughs> I, you know, I lost a little bit, but I didn't lose a lot. Because <laughs> the game broke me. All right, there's no gambling to me on this one because I still wound up positive for the week. You know, it, 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 that, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is just the way they lost that game. It, it looked like a team that, that quit, essentially, in the second half. Look, they did. But it is. It was. It, it, was quit. it really was. And how how you have Garrett as a coach? How you have Garrett as a coach of oh. the Dallas Cowboys is is just beyond me. How Jerry Jones? Everybody, I don't know how they feel in Dallas, but the way you you speak to your team, you speak to management, is you don't show up for these games. But every Sunday, you see all of these Cowboys fans pile in this place with their hopes up, thinking, well, we're going to win. We're finally going to make it to the playoffs this year. And then December happens. I mean, that was one of the biggest collapse I've ever seen. And you know what? I wasn't even surprised. I mean, because it's Dallas. It's Tony Romo. Mm-hmm. It's it's December, and this is terrible. I mean, like you said, you have DeMarco Murray on this team. You're running the football. You have two minutes left in the game. You're almost at midfield. At least you could let them burn their timeouts and kick the ball, punt the ball, and pin them inside the fifteen or ten. But yet you want to act, you want to act funny, and you want to be pretty and cute, and you want to throw a pass and get it picked off and, and kill the clock. I mean, that's boneheaded. Somebody needs to be fired. Somebody needs to be held accountable for this. And I'm not putting this on Tony Romo because he's not the one making the play calls, Jonathan. Well. You know, and I think it's a sham. I think this whole thing is a sham because you have Jason Garrett saying that Bill Callahan's calling the offense. Obviously, that's not happening. Bill Callahan would be calling running play. Bill Callahan would be calling the situation. He was a head coach in Nebraska. He understands when you need to run the football. He ran it an awful lot while he was there. All right? Jason Garrett's obviously calling these plays. And not only that, well, I'm blaming Romo because you had an option. They gave him the choice. You, you do a run or a pass. Well, the safety was cheating up. The safety had been cheating up all game. You guys were dashing. You know, I mean, come on, Tony, think. And then on the last drive, the receiver, Beasley, ran the right route. He stuck right in the hole. And Romo let him on an out route. That's Romo not thinking. That's Romo Romoing. You know, that it, it, Dallas, just, it disgusts me. And I'm not a Cowboys fan. I really don't like the franchise. But I hate it when a team loses a game like that because it's just so disheartening. It really is. It's ugly. And you're like, what's going on? This is a problem they've had for multiple years now, and they haven't fixed it. This is, this is clearly well, a definition of insanity. They're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not working. Fix something. Well, I think, I think Dallas needs to – and Romo, to me, he, the damage is done. I think he needed to go somewhere else, get out of Dallas, and I think he could possibly be a good quarterback. And I, I just think yep. I don't know what's going to happen 
but Dallas needs a change. They need a change. They need a change now. It doesn't need to be five years from now. They need a head coach in there with some balls that tells Jerry Jones. Remember when Dallas was good? It's when they had Jimmy Johnson there, and he didn't care what Jerry Jones said, really. They butted heads. But you know what? They won football games. Every coach that gets along with Jerry Jones, the common factor is the denominator, they lose football games, and they choke. Uh There's no difference. Jerry Jones needs to back up team but stay off the field Stay out of the media. Stay out of the coaches' ears. Let them pay, hire them to do a job. And if they don't do the job, you hold them accountable. You get rid of them. It's that easy. Jerry Jones is a joke, and Dallas is a joke. I actually picked them to win the division. I mean, it could possibly happen. It's not like they're they're out of it completely. But when is these? When does Dallas won a meaningful December game, Jonathan? Been years. And, and, and you know, we we bring up Jimmy Johnson and. Jimmy Johnson really could have done something special in Dallas. But Jerry got in his ear and said, well, I could have put any, I, I could have put a monkey in charge if we want to win a Super Bowl. Uh, well, Jerry, that's not how it works. You, you need a good head coach to, to win games. We see this time and time again. You're not telling me that San Francisco wins five Super Bowls with me in charge. I, I'm just going to be honest. All right? You know, and when Jerry chased Jimmy out, it set a standard. And that's the problem. Is that there's been a standard set that you need to kiss up to Jerry Jones or you're not going to keep your job. Bill Parcells could have done something special in Dallas. Jerry never really gave him that chance to put a team together that he wanted. Well, I want Terrell Owens. Well, I want this guy. I want that guy. It, it, it's just like, why? Stop. Stop meddling. Every time you meddle, you lose. Have you not figured this out? Yeah. It, it's just, it, I mean, I, I'm just, I don't even know what to say about Dallas anymore, but I know Sonny Clark, he, he rides for Dallas and does that, and he puts them down all the time. And he even gets emails from, from Dallas Cowboys talking about his articles he writes, bashing them all the time. But, hey, at least he's saying that he's telling the truth, you know? I mean, you got a guy uh, in Des Bryant that walks off the field before the game's over, goes in the locker room to pout, but yet, Jonathan, he says he was he was walking away so nobody would see him cry. Are you buying that? I mean, he'd be off my team doing stuff like this. He's a Des Bryant's a prima donna. He's obviously still a child. When he walked off the field, uh, he essentially just walked out of any conversation he had of being an elite receiver. You know, Calvin Johnson doesn't walk off the field. Calvin Johnson had every right to walk off the field. Calvin Johnson doesn't walk off the field. He plays with Detroit. Would you rather be playing in Dallas or Detroit? I mean, honestly, I'd rather be playing in Dallas. Everything bad that happens happens in Detroit. You know, I mean, Des Bryant's a joke, and that situation needs to be handled. And Jerry's not handling that situation. He's kind of letting Des do whatever Des wants because Des is, is, you know, a good receiver. You know, to be honest, he is a fantastic receiver. His touchdown catch in that game in the fourth quarter, I don't even know how he got his feet in. That was a phenomenal catch. I mean, you can't walk off the field there when there's a chance you're going to get that ball. You know, you get the ball back. Stranger things have happened. You know, it's it just, it's an absolute joke. I was going to go cry by myself. Really? What message are you sending to today's kids? What are you sending to the youth? Oh, say, you know, if you think that you're going to lose, just walk off the field. Not the message you really want to send there, Des. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's terrible. I mean, God, I, I look at that. And, you know, I think somebody that would do a good job in Dallas, and I know it probably sounds crazy, but somebody like Nick Saban, in a way, if he could if he could get those 
those players to respect him like a college game. I mean, he could run that mm-hmm. team and, and do a great job. But, hey, I don't know. Johnny Manziel's going pro this year. You never know when they could get Johnny, get a new coach, and maybe hire Kevin Sumlin, for God's sake. I don't know. Hire anybody but, but Jason Garrett, for God's sake. But that's that's what I wanted to say. The Dallas Cowboys are chokers, and I just don't. Paul laughed at me when I – y'all laughed at me when I picked Dallas to win the division. And, man, after watching them play – Wow. I mean, it's just its amazing that I picked them. I can't believe it. I'll never have faith in them again as long as Jason Garrett's there and Romo. But Romo's a good quarterback. It's just something's wrong with him in Dallas. I think it's mental, and I don't know what to do. Well, let's move on to college football. We we spent a little time on the NFL. I mean, we don't have any elite bowl games, and I'm not going to sit here, Johnston, and go through game by game of these bowl games and sit here and just – analyze every one of them, but we'll talk about them a little bit, and we'll talk some college football news, but I don't know. What what excites you about bowl season, really? You know, you see so much more emotion in bowl season than you really do see the first, you know, 10, 11 games regular season. Other than senior day, I think bowl games are the most emotionally charged games because for the seniors, this is their last chance. This is their last time, and nobody wants to go out a loser. Uh, you know, I – I, I love bowl season. It, it's it's just it's almost like you know the fabric of college football. What makes college football so special is when you get the bowl season and you just have these you know games that just turn out to be so great. Some of the best college football games you will ever see are, are in bowl season because you see teams are opening up the playbook. They're letting you know their guys do what they want and not what they've been told the whole year. I, I love bowl season. I would hate I would hate for it to go. Because, in all honesty, this is really the one chance that some of us get to see some of these kids, like Buffalo, Colorado State, East Carolina. We get to see these schools and their players. And it just means so much to be on national television, nonetheless. And you see some of the guys, you're like, I want him on Sunday. And all of a sudden, this guy starts being a stud on Sunday. And you go, well, you know, we saw that coming because of the bowl game. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's really a magical time of the year. Well, you know, I. I woke up Saturday morning last week, Jonathan, and it was the week after the SEC championship, the uh, the ACC championship. You know, it's set in finally that Auburn and Florida State are playing in the national championship. But I was sad Saturday in a way because, you know, Army and Navy is a great game, but it's still not college football all day long and and all night. We had the, the, the trophy ceremony, the Heisman Trophy, but I don't care who it is. I get to watch college football, and even if it's Washington State, a six and six team out of the Pac-12, which Auburn beat by the way, barely, um, against Colorado State. Against Colorado State, I could care less who it is. But one thing I can tell you about this game, Jonathan, it's going to be a shootout. The over/under sixty-five and a half, and neither team wants to play defense. They average about thirty, thirty-five points a game, and they both give up about thirty points a game. So all I can tell you is. Get the popcorn ready and, and get ready for some high-scoring games Saturday. Oh, you know, it's going to be a blast uh, seeing Washington State go up against Colorado State. You know, the the plan for Washington State was to make a bowl game next season. The fact they made one this year shows you how much of an improvement Mike Leach has done with that program. It's really, really kind of, you know, special what he's done. And it just tells you how good of a coach he is. There's one player I want you to watch in this game. His name is Capri Bitts. He's the starting running back for Colorado State. He's a top ten in rushing yards for the year. 
he has 28 rushing touchdowns. Now, he's been a little dinged up. I don't know if he's going to be 100% for the game. But he's a I think you have to watch just because he's fun to watch. He really is. And it seems like every year watch, you know, that Colorado State's in this bowl game, they have a running back that just goes bonkers. And I'm telling you right now, Capri Bibbs, probably one of the most strange names I've heard in college football, but he's a guy to keep your eye on. Yeah, I mean, that's, see, that, that's exactly what you just spoke about, is exactly what 99.3% of the people in the country don't know. But if you really sit back and you watch these teams play, and remember, who's the coach of Colorado State, Jonathan? Jim McElwain. Exactly. I mean, the offensive quarter, coordinator for Alabama, he won a national championship in 2009 and 11. I mean, let's see what he can do as a head coach. I mean, his, I mean, to have Colorado State in the bowl game is, is saying something, too. They're 7-6, and six, mm-hmm. uh, playing 6-6 six and six Washington State team. But, Jonathan, I'm going to have to go with Leach with, with a, several, a couple weeks to prepare for this game, actually. I like him as a coach and what he's doing. I can tell you this, McElwain's going to wonder what happened because he's going to throw every play in the book at him. And Connor Holiday, not too shabby of a quarterback. No, the, the steps that Holiday's made between last year and this year really impressed me. It seems like he's starting to become a little more polished as a passer. Uh, we saw in the Oregon game where he just went nuts throwing them all over the place. I think Washington State wins this game. I think this is going to be a fun game to watch. I think Washington State that will pull away late. They're going by, you know, 11, 12 points. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic three quarters of the game where you're just going to see teams going back and forth. Washington State secondary is very opportunistic. Watch out for that because that can get Colorado State in trouble early. Yeah, I mean, this, this team, seven and six possibly, they could win a bowl game. And think about the momentum. From Think about how good they're going to get from year one. You see what they did year two. How good can Washington State be next year, Jonathan? That's the question. Well, this is a Washington State is a football team where if you look at it, Washington is going to have a new quarterback and a new head coach next year. Oregon, I mean, Oregon, Oregon, they should still compete, but they're probably going to lose some talent. Uh, and people think that Helfrich isn't that good of a coach. David Shaw, we don't know if David Shaw is actually staying at Stanford. He might jump to the NFL. I mean, we all know that's his next destination. He's already said, I'm not leaving Stanford unless it's for an NFL job. You know, and I think Washington State can make some noise. Oregon State doesn't impress me. They get it done every year, but it really, really doesn't impress me what Mike Riley is doing up there uh, at, from the standpoint of where I think they can compete. Washington State could be one of those top three uh, Pac-12 North teams next year, and I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on as the recruits, they keep getting better and better. You know, that's one thing we've got to remember is that Leach did a hell of a job at Texas Tech because receivers and quarterbacks wanted to come play for him. Why? Because all they did was go to football. And, you know, and we're going to get that more next year, and I think they're going to get better and better. I don't know if they're ever going to win the conference because of the offense they run, but by, by George, they're going to be fun to watch. Well, just a quick update. The Pacers up 84-80 right now. It looks like over the Miami Heat in the fourth period, 541 to left. This could be a delay. I'm on scores and odds watching it. But, Jonathan, Paul's picking Washington State as well. The next game is, is going to be very entertaining. Uh, USC 9-4 against Fresno State 11-1. Let me ask you a question. Let me, please let me ask you this. And this confused me all season. I forgot to research it. 
How a Southern Cal played 13 games when everybody else plays 12 unless they make a conference championship? Why did Southern Cal get to play 13 games? Colorado State played 13 games as well this no. year. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I thought, I I thought maybe it was a conference game or something or a championship game they played. That's why I guess I didn't notice mm-hmm. Colorado State, but Southern I've never seen that before, how you play 13 games without playing in your conference championship. Right. And, you know, before the year when I was doing my breakdowns, I noticed that. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? I'm trying to figure out, you know, USC playing 13 games. And a lot of sports writers, believe it or not, these are people who, they're college football writers, they're getting paid a lot of money to do it, had no idea. They're like, no, they're not. USC's only playing 12 games this year. I go, um, check the schedule, guys. <laughs> they're playing 13. You know, can somebody explain to me why? I never got an answer from that. It seemed, you know, it seemed like people were just as stumped as you are. I remember last year hearing something about it and completely forgot what the reason was. But, you know, if, if you're USC, why not play 13? But let's not make, you know, every other team in the nation don't look at USC and go, well, let's play 13 too. No, 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 no. 12 just fine. Well, Jonathan, let me ask you this. So just let's pretend, let's just, let's pretend a minute Southern Cal was, 12 or 13 and 0 without playing their conference championship. Say they won the Pac-12 and they're 14 and 0. I mean, isn't it unfair to compare a 14 and 0 Southern Cal team to a 13 and 0 Auburn or a 13 and 0 Alabama, Florida State? Couldn't that be an advantage for them if it came down to it and they were actually a serious contender for the national championship? I, yeah, I think you're right, and I, I I agree. I think it would be unfair. You know, before this year, the only team that I knew that played 13 games before uh, in a regular season, I believe, was Indiana, and they did it for a personal reason, and we all knew Indiana wasn't going to championship that year. Uh, you know, I think I think USC going 14 or if they gone 14 this year, that would be – it would create all sorts of chaos in reality because you're sitting there going, well, they played one more game than everybody else. Doesn't that mean they're one more game better as – it's very confusing. I hope next year that well, USC goes back to 12. Well, here it is. USC will play 13 regular season games because the August 29th opener is at Hawaii. NCAA rules allow teams to play 13 games rather than the maximum 12 if one is in Hawaii. So note to everybody yeah. out there, if you want to play more football games, you want to take a vacation, schedule Hawaii in August, and you'll get to do it. So that's some, that's some good information Jimbo. there. I did yeah, I didn't know that. So, but how many times do you get to see the second bowl game of the year be between two ranked teams? We have the 20th ranked Fresno State team against the Southern Cal Trojans, Jonathan. I mean, this is – I want to see how good this car guy is because he's he's been lighting people up all year. He has almost 5,000 yards, 48 touchdowns. I think this is a game with their coach gone or Jerron walked off the field – He's done. I think Fresno State comes in and pulls the upset in Vegas. I like them to beat the Southern Cal Trojans. You know, I would have agreed with the original. Um, you know, Ordron walking off, I could see that. But I think USC for this, this is a respect game for all these players that are there, all these four- and five-star talent. And I believe it or not, there's a deep-seated rivalry between these two fan bases because they're both California schools and Fresno State you know, obviously feels inferior to USC and thinks they get all the breaks. A lot of kids on both teams played against each other, played with each other in high school. Uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I, you know, But I think in the end, USC's defense is going to overmatch Derek Carr 
and Devontae Adams, who, by the way, Devontae Adams, if he's statistically, if he's not number one, he's the number two receiver in the nation. I mean, my goodness, look up his stats. They're going to blow your mind. Um, you know, Tim DeRuiter's done a fantastic job at Fresno State. Derek Carr right now is slated to be a top ten pick. Todd Mache's mock draft number six to Cleveland. It's, this is going to be a huge game. He can either elevate or completely kill his stock. Brian? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was on mute. Hey, look. Look, I don't trust Southern Cal right now. They don't have a running game. I'm not too fond of their passing game. I think I'm going to favor the gun, the gunslinger right here in Carr in Fresno State. They're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder. They lost that game. Who did they lose to? San Diego State or someone? San Jose State, 62 to 52. I mean, they, that's embarrassing. Cost them a BCS bowl game, and now they're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder. I know you and Paul like Southern Cal, but I'm going to go with the upset, man. I'm just in an upset mood today. And the next game, I know, I know, I know, you've been waiting a long time for this one, um, so we'll get right to it. Who's that game? Buffalo. I didn't oh, know Buffalo man. still had team once Turner Gill left. I thought he was Buffalo football, but Buffalo is going to be playing <laughs> San Diego State in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I mean, if you're a Buffalo oh, yeah. San Diego State fan, how are you going to miss this game? Oh, man, game of the century. I mean, are you serious? They're still doing a bowl game in Idaho. They're still having a bowl game in Boise. Come on, (laughs) man. Really? But I think Buffalo's going to win this game. I think Buffalo's just a more sound football team. San Diego State has been gritty. Um, They've been able to gut out victories this year. I I just like Buffalo in this game. There are three guys you need to watch on Buffalo. They're running back Brandon Oliver. When he's healthy, he is a fantastic running back. Their wide receiver, Alex Newt. This guy will outjump anybody, anybody for, for a Hail Mary. I mean, this, it's amazing how high he gets up. And Khalil Mack. Now, if you've been listening to Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr. hype this guy up, there's a very good reason for it. Khalil Mack is a really good hybrid linebacker defensive end type player. He's supposed to be top 10. Nick Shea had him going number 8 to Minnesota. Khalil Mack set the record for most most forced fumbles in the season. If you go back and watch the Ohio State-Buffalo game, Khalil Mack's the only reason why Buffalo is in that contest. He is a fantastic defensive player. I've been really impressed with his play this year. Well, I'm going to go with San Diego State in this one. And maybe I'm wrong. Paul's picking San Diego State as well. Uh, it's going to be cold. Let's see how San Diego State plays in the cold weather. Maybe that, that has something to do with you picking against them. But the next game, Tulane, I'm I'm looking forward to this game. Call me crazy, but I, I like watching Louisiana Lafayette play. Uh, this is a home game for them, playing Tulane. The over-under is not as high as it probably should be, but we have Tulane's two-and-a-half point favorite over Lafayette. Who do you like? I like Louisiana Lafayette. I think Terrence Broadway can get it done for these guys. Alonzo Harris at running back. Um, this is going to be a great game, though. I mean, I don't think people really understand how great of a game this is going to be. Who would have thought that Tulane being a bowl game this year? I mean, raise your hand if anybody had Tulane winning seven games. If, if, you know, if your hand's up, you're delusional and you're lying because nobody 
even Vegas didn't think the Tulane should be favored over anybody this year until they started winning <laughs> football games. So what they've done to get to a bowl game blows my mind. It's, it's technically a home game for Tulane. But all these kids went to high school together, played against each other in high school. This is going to be fantastic. We're going to see a fun shootout in this one. Well, you remember what it was last Saturday? They had a special. What was the name of the kid that was slow that was paralyzed really for Tulane? That he came back and and he inspired the team. He's been coming to the games and everything. And and don't tell me for a minute that this stuff, little things like that, don't matter because they do. These kids they look for things to get motivated, something mm-hmm. to play for besides themselves. And this Tulane team has bought in. Jonathan mm-hmm. to this one one unit thing. Their their brotherhood. Their their guy that was paralyzed is there. They're playing for him. Tulane wins this game out of the conference USA. I know this is a home game for Lafayette, but like you said, Tulane's in Louisiana too. Uh, this is going to be a fun game to watch, and I would not miss it for anything. This is one of the. the I know people probably think I'm just saying this, but this is the game I circled. I want to make sure I watch at the bowl season. Besides Auburn and Florida yeah. State, of course, but this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, I, when I saw this matchup, I, I got excited, just like you. I think this is going to be a great game, um, you know, and you're right. Tulane really has – I can't remember the kid's name, but he wore, he wore number 18. I remember watching the game when he got hurt. I don't know what I was doing watching Tulsa play Tulane, but I remember when he got hurt. I remember sitting there going, I think this kid just died on the field. And the fact that yep. he was able to get off the field and he come back to this program is so big. And it's amazing. It's amazing how Tulane has bonded to it and rallied around this kid. I, you know, I hate picking against them because I love to see them to win. But I just think at the end of the day, Louisiana Lafayette is more talented, even though this is in you know, the Mercedes-Benz, you know, Superdome, and that's where Tulane plays all their games. I, I, just, I just have a hard time thinking it's Lafayette. I've watched, the, you know, I've watched some of their games this year, and I think, think they're a better football team. And I think Tulane's luck's going to run out, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I think it will too. And and we have a game. What is the day? The eighteenth. Yeah. So we're gonna preview Eastern Carolina, East Carolina, and Ohio Sunday night, and also the Boise State Oregon State game. But it's almost time for the big boy football to start. And I don't know what you look. What are you looking for, Jonathan, in this bowl season? When you look at all the bowl games. Are you looking? Is this a is this a bowl season for the Big Ten to come back and try to get some respect? Is this a chance for the SEC? Is this a chance for the ACC to come in and and gain some respect going into that fourteen playoff game next or series next year? What are you looking for in this bowl season, really? I'm looking to see how the ACC handles themselves. They have some matchups that look quite unfavorable: Duke, Virginia Tech, UCLA. I mean, Duke, Texas A&M, Virginia Tech, UCLA. Um, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see how the ACC handles themselves, having 11 teams in a bowl game, uh, you know, wow. how they wind up doing. The SEC with 10 teams themselves in, you know, are are all those teams going to show up? That's one thing I, I think the hearing. SEC has 11. I think the SEC has 11. Do they? I mean, you know. Um, Let's see, Ole Miss, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia, Three, South Carolina four, LSU five, uh, Alabama six, Missouri seven, Vanderbilt eight, Auburn nine. And who am I missing here? Tennessee didn't make it. Arkansas, okay. Tennessee, 
Arkansas mm-hmm. and Kentucky are the only three teams in the SEC not to make a bowl game. So that's a Florida. Florida. Oh, yeah. Florida, Florida you're right, Tim. I, I apologize. I apologize. Florida was so bad, we tend to forget about them. <laughs> so shout at you, Paul. Oh. I know you're listening in the chat room. Your team was so bad that y'all didn't even get invited. People were like, we could invite them because we know they make money, but they were terrible. Nobody's going to watch the game. So speaking of Florida, since Paul's listening, I mean, you know, Muschamp said he wants to go to the spread offense. Are you buying that that's going to work and that's going to solve their problems? It just seems like to me Muschamp, his entire tenure there, hasn't had an offense. And I know injuries happen, but he's had three years, and I haven't seen any signs of, of offense. And that's one thing that concerns me. Is this his last year if he crashes and burns with this hire? Muschamp now wants to go to a spread. He had all the athletes for a spread offense when he got there. Now he wants to go to one? Are you Muschamp needs to go. I don't like Florida. I'm not a fan of Florida, but I hate stupidity. Muschamp needs to leave. That is probably the dumbest statement I've heard at the University of Florida. I've heard a lot of them. That was dumb. <laughs> now I want to go to a spread. Really? Oh, you, you've got to be kidding. You know, he tries to mimic Alabama for anybody to try and tell me he did it. But he tried to mimic Alabama great, you know, with a great defense. The Florida had a fantastic defense, don't get me wrong, and uh, a power running game. Well, the power running game wasn't working because you didn't have the, really, in all honesty, you didn't have the receivers that Alabama had, like Amari Cooper, you know, guys like that who get open. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you've got to, Muschamp needs to pack up and go. You know, I think Muschamp would be a great fit at Texas as a head coach, believe it or not. He was the head coach in waiting under Mac Brown. Texas needs a defensive-minded coach because that's what they've been harping on was their weakness was defense. Pack up and go to Texas. Get Florida a real head coach. Get them well, a real well, head look, coach. This is- I want you to look at this. You, you see Tommy Tuberville at Auburn. He had a great physical team. He decided he wanted to go to the spread. Well, guess what? You didn't have the players, and look how that turned out. He was fired. You see Gene Chizik won a national championship with the spread. Gus Malzahn in that offense decided he wanted a power running game, so he went to a pro-style offense without the players. Look what happened to him. Now Muschamp, mm-hmm. he wants to change this, and, and you know what? When he, if he crashes and burns, then you're not going to run a spread with, with the type of players now, I don't think, after the last couple of years. But if he crashes and burns on this, Jonathan, he has to go. I mean, it's just – you look at the cycle and everything. Muschamp looks like a desperate man right now, and I guess he's very lucky to have kept that job because if you're Florida, I mean, I'm anywhere else, I don't understand how he kept his job, but for some reason he may know where the, the skeletons are buried or something because I thought he was gone. I didn't even think it was going to be a question, but he's still there. But he's 0 for 3. Every year he's had a different offensive coordinator. Yeah, I – Absolutely. The Gators offensively have been a disaster under Muschamp. And, you know, since we're talking about Florida and we're talking about recruiting, Irmon Lane and Dalvin Cook are arguably two of Florida's top recruits, at least offensively. Irmon Lane, the wide receiver, I believe he's number one or two in the nation. Dalvin Cook's number four running back in the nation. Maybe he's number five. From what I've been hearing for three weeks now, they're going to flip their commitments to Florida State. When those guys flip, you're going to see a lot of dominoes. And look how many offensive players have transferred from Florida. You already have, what, I think eight offensive guys have transferred, two quarterbacks, you know, multiple offensive linemen. 
obviously must have doing something wrong in the program that we don't even know about. It's not even what on the field is that. It's even what's probably going on in the locker room. And this has become it's become a real distraction. I, I figured Muschamp would get another year. I honestly did. I think in college you need four years before you can really figure out what a guy is going to be just because of a recruiting standpoint. But th- this has just been – it's been awful. I would rather Florida be competitive than them be what they are right now. And that, that is they're, – they're Kentucky essentially right now. And it's sad. It really is. It, well, hold on, Mike, hold on, I, Jonathan. Paul's up, Paul's upset because we're speaking incorrect information. He says he said it's a it's a up tempo run play action pass offense, not the spread. So he wanted us to get it correct. He didn't know why I was allowing us to talk about this on the show. But from what I've gathered, it's the spread. I don't know about you, but you haven't heard about it. But maybe you can go research that and tell me what you think. Well, you're telling me, all right, so this is like an Oregon fan telling me, we don't run a spread, we run an up-tempo offense. Really? You're sure it's not a spread offense? You're absolutely positive that's not a spread offense. No, no, it's just up-tempo. Oh, oh, okay. All right, I'll, I'll believe you. You can't run an up-tempo offense with tight ends. Okay, if we're going to use two big tight ends, you can't run an up-tempo offense. They're, Paul, they're <laughs> going to be moving to a spread, buddy. It's going to be a spread offense. You're going to have Urban Meyer's offense all over again. I hate to tell you that. Right, but it's exactly what an up-tempo offense is. It winds up being a spread offense. That's how the best up-tempo offenses are run. Look at Oregon. Look at what Houston had under Kevin Sumlin. Look at what Texas A&M has. Look, you know, I mean, come on, man. You can try and put it however you want. But at the end of the day, Florida's going to an up-tempo spread offense. It's like Auburn. Auburn tried to tell me they don't want a spread offense. That's, a, that's about as spread as you can get. All right, up-tempo offenses, you need to spread them out. You can't have six or seven offensive linemen out there who can't boogie. Well, I, th- I think people get up, they, they get it misinterpreted. You know, when you look at the spread, Auburn spreads people out, and then they run downhill on you. That's a, that's a hurry up. They try to hurry up to the line of scrimmage to keep the same personnel on the field. But a lot of people think the spread is a finesse. Now, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Paul keeps saying this is garbage. Well, if it is, you know, you know where the door is, but from what I've what I've looked at and everything, this is a spread offense. When I say Auburn runs a spread offense, guys, that's what they run. It, it it doesn't mean that it's a finesse offense or anything, but they spread you out. They use trickeration a little bit, but they run physically. Now Florida could do that, but I still call it the spread. That's what I call it, and 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 whether it's right or wrong. That's just what it is in my mind. I mean, you can say spread, and you might not. It might not be the spread. A lot of people think Auburn's offense is finesse, uh, Jonathan. But do you think it's finesse? Do you think they spread you out and try to trick you and throw it all over the field? Uh, it's far. I mean, well, let's face it, with Auburn, and I, I hate to say this because we're playing them, and I'm not trying to take a jab at Auburn. But even the SEC, comp, you know, when you watch CBS the national championship game, even they said it. Auburn really runs four plays out of one formation the whole game. You know, but it's still a spread offense. They're not tricking you out. They're spreading you out, the defense, and then they're going to pound it down your throat. And, you know, you can't run a hurry-up power-eye offense. <laughs> Let's be honest. I don't know if if people can grasp that concept. You can't run an I-formation offense and it be a hurry-up. You know, I mean, Paul, I understand you're trying to stand up for your Gators, and I understand, you know, it's not a spread, it's a hurry-up. It's the same Thing at the end of the day, 
It really well, is. I mean, because well, well, spread Paul, the defense Paul, is Paul out. says you can have an up-tempo offense without a spread, but like I said, you can call it what you want. I look at it, I call it a spread. Like, it doesn't mean you're a finesse or anything. That's just the t- – when I hear spread, I think of – I think of Oregon, I think of Texas Tech and teams like that. What I read on Florida, though, we're not going to beat a dead horse here. I don't want to talk about Florida all night, but, you know, what I heard, they were going to go to the spread. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it's over. It doesn't matter, really. But we'll find out what they're going to run. Obviously, Muschamp doesn't know what he's going to run, uh, but he's going to run himself right out of a job if he's not careful. So I think Paul hung up, uh, Jonathan. I think he he's upset at you and me right now. He said U.S. is going to Auburn. He said he said Florida is going to Auburn type offense. So I'll close with that. <laughs> That's what he said. Oh my goodness. Okay. But I I don't know. Right, I mean, Paul, Paul knows right. Florida. Paul knows Paul knows Florida better than I do. I'll, I'll give him that. So I'll have to go back and research it. I'm not going to sit here and disagree, if I, especially if I'm not a fan of the team. So, Paul, just for you, I'll go make sure I research that and see. But in closing right quick, Jonathan, I want to talk about Mac Brown a little bit. Um, we heard that, that Nick Saban came out. And I want to ask you this question, and this has kind of bothered me a little bit, about the Texas. Most Bama fans are coming out now laughing, celebrating, saying that they knew all along Saban wasn't going to Texas. But – are you buying the fact that Saban never talked to Texas? Um, what I'm buying is what I'm, uh, you know, I've been hearing from Texas fans is that Matt Brown didn't like Nick Saban, so he didn't want Saban coming in and um, taking over the team after him. Were there talks? There might have been, and I'm I'm not going to dispute the fact that people have said there was a conversation, and there probably was. And let's face it, Nick Saban's one of those head coaches that can get a little restless at where he's at. Um, did I think that it was ever going to be serious? No, because Texas is still respecting Mac Brown's wishes because, let's face it, he's going to be very involved in that hiring process since he is now an advisor to the program to, I believe, 2022. Yeah, looking at Texas right now, it looks like they, they've hired a committee and they're going to try to find their coach. But I'm hearing, and you tell me what you think, Jimbo Fisher's their top man, and that's why it's quite in the it's quiet right now, rather, because they're just waiting for this national championship game to happen and they're getting Jimbo. But, Jonathan, I've talked to several people close to Jimbo Fisher, and, and they said he's not very happy there with the funding, the way they do the money. What do you know about Jimbo Fisher? Is he going to stay at Florida State or is he going to go to Texas? You know, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting debate because I know Jimbo's not happy with the way the conference is going. He hates the fact that the ACC is moving towards a basketball conference. Which, hello, Florida, okay, we want to come to the SEC. Stop, stop trying to block us from getting there. I mean, really, this, this is getting ridiculous. But Jimbo, I, I know from what I've heard from my, guy, you know, from my sources up in Tallahassee that Florida State has said they will match any offer. Money-wise, Texas sends it Jimbo. If they offer them 10 years, $150 million, Florida State says they will match 10 years, $150 million. Well, Jonathan, hold on. Paul's on the line right now. Welcome to the show, Paul. How you doing tonight? Doing good. Trying to calm down off of this big heat wind that just went down. Tell us your thoughts right quick. On what? Just on, on which subject? Just, uh, well, I mean, we'll go about what, what, whatever you want to talk about. Oh, I mean, y'all were discussing the Fisher thing. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree that it's, 
probably more than 50-50. One, one thing I really want to say real quick is, as far as what Johnson was saying about Florida blocking FSU from coming to the SEC, when conference realignment was uh, being talked about a couple of years ago, Jeremy Foley was quoted in the Gainesville Sun saying that he would give a vote of yes for FSU to come in. So I'm not sure where he got that information from. So Maybe a long time ago, maybe, but as of recent, uh, Foley had a vote of confidence of yes. So, I just nice to change of heart. More. And I, I do. I, do I mean, know he may have been talking about back a long, long time ago. Florida may have. Yeah, well, it. I remember. I remember back in in you know the the late nineties there was there were some discussions even in the early two thousands where it was one of those things where you know when Florida had Spurrier that they yeah, Florida yeah. was ready to block us at any moment, and I think that had more to do with Spurrier had such power at UF, and I think you can agree with that to where if he didn't want Florida State in, they weren't coming in. I also know with the new conference realignment, a lot of it became more about TV money and branching out. And unfortunately, Florida and Florida State are so close together that you kind of sit there and go, well, where's the TV money really? Uh, Unfortunately, I would love for the SEC, though, to make that phone call. I think, you know, in a heartbeat of Florida, if Jimbo Fisher said, you know, the only way I'm staying is if we join the SEC and the SEC sends that invitation, we have to say yes. You know, but I know back when we originally joined the ACC, that was our athletic director, you know, essentially telling Bobby, we're not joining the SEC, we're joining the ACC because we want to be a, uh, we want to have a basketball school too. And that well, became the right. mistake. Correct, me, correct me real quick. Correct me real quick if I'm wrong. Wasn't the academics thing an issue too? Like the academics were too low for FSU standards in SEC? I thought I read somewhere yeah. where they were upset with the academic standards as well. You know, I keep hearing that, and I, I don't know how true that is um, because, I mean, Florida State academically, they've done a pretty good job, uh, all things considered. No, I'm saying Florida State's a, too high. Oh, well, geez. Yeah. Um, well, I don't I don't know why the SEC would say that. I mean, no, 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 you know, no, no. Florida State said improving. that the SEC was too, their academic standards were too low for them. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't understand. That baffles me. I'm going to be honest with you, that baffles me. I don't know. Well, all right, guys. I I don't really want to talk about Florida State and Florida and the SEC and everything, but, Paul, uh, Jimbo Fisher to Texas, uh, are you hearing anything about this, or who's Texas' number one guy right now? It depends on who you want to listen to. Um, A lot of people are quiet about it. You saw they hired the committee today. Um, I'm a member of quite a few of the pay sites and – Bobby Burton over at uh, Texas 247, that's the name he keeps mentioning. It's Jimbo Fisher and then Gus Malzahn. And from from his and, – and he's also confirmed that the only coach that has actually signed their extension is Gus Malzahn. But Texas still feels that that wouldn't matter if they wanted to go no. after him. But Bobby Burton – I'm telling you, Gus, that, is, Gus is not going. I can, I can go ahead and shut that one up for Bobby you. Burton – who reports there says that he believes that it'll be one of the two out of the national championship game. That's what he believes as of now. But hold on, Paul. Paul, I want to ask you, can Florida State really match what Texas, just say if, if Texas comes out and throws that money, do you really think Florida State would pay Jimbo Fisher that much money? What is Florida State paying him now? Um, what are they the, new ex- 
the new extension is 4.1 next year, and it will escalate to 5.2, where I think it will bottom out. Uh, so with that, 4.1, you know, if we go off of what they were talking about with saving, which Chip Brown reported that the figure never went over, that they would never go over $7 million for saving, which is why many believe Alabama went to 7.5. So if he's at 4.1, I'm assuming that Texas probably wouldn't go over 5 for him. So, yeah, they'd probably match it. Yeah, well, our president came out today, and he said that any offer uh, from Texas, we would, we would, we would want to match it. Um, you know, Jimbo means a lot to the, to the university, obviously to the football program, but also his foundation, um, what he does for, you know, children with, with the, uh, the diseases and the sicknesses and all that, that means a lot to the university. And I know his wife, uh, Candy really, really, really doesn't want to leave Tallahassee. She's really, she really likes being there. I think the dark yeah, horse Candy, job, Brian, is Charlie Strong. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Why would you hire Charlie Strong, guys? Jonathan, I'll start with you. <laughs> Charlie Strong, to me, and you know what I feel about Charlie Strong. Could he succeed at a place like Texas? I think they would eat him up and spit him out. I, I don't think Charlie Strong's the man for Texas. I think if Charlie Strong goes to, you know, he'll want to go to a Florida program. Like, you know, if Florida State opens up for Florida or Miami, I think that's where Strong would rather go. I think he feels more comfortable recruiting the state of Florida. Um, and I think the expectations would be too high in Texas for Charlie Strong. I really do. They need a coach who has an attitude of, I really don't give a damn what, you, what the fans say because, the fans kind of were getting a little high on we're going to get Nick Saban. So anybody other than Saban is going to come in with unrealistic expectations. And it's going to create a tough couple of years from the fan base, and they need a coach who's strong enough to handle that. Well, hold on, Paul. I need to go back up a minute and apologize to you if, uh, you know, when I told you to hit the door, I was just joking, dude. But I need you to tell me. When I was talking about Florida and the spread, that's my normal, and I don't want to beat this up, but I want you to tell everybody out there, since you follow Florida and, and they're your team, what are they trying to do? You said it's a, a hurry-up, kind of like Auburn, because well, what I heard, what I, what I read, it said spread, and that's why I was saying that. Yeah, yeah, and, and when it was first mentioned when the change was coming, was the word spread came out from our beat writers. You know, but as the week went on, and the recruits started talking what Muschamp was telling these kids, and more than several recruits came out and said it, is that he wants to go to more, and even Dalvin Cook and Ermon Lane said it, that they want to go to a an Auburn-type offense, like an up-tempo run and then pass off the play action, which will actually feed into Jeff Driscoll's talent. See, Jeff Driscoll was mm-hmm. a spread, you know, spread up-tempo quarterback coming in. They were trying to form mm-hmm. them in the pro style. So that's what they're – and then also, you know, I heard you all mention about what uh, Jonathan said about having recruits. You know, when you got here, you had the people to run a spread. You know, and that's kind of true, but to be honest with you, Urban Meyer basically left us a track team. I mean, mm-hmm. there was – I mean, it was kind of, they were spread players, but they were basically a track team. And that's what he – you know, we don't have – the offensive lineman for pro style, as y'all have seen the last two years. So it's not really going to be a big recruiting massive overhaul back to spread players because we don't even have the pro style players to begin with. But, yeah, he wants to pretty much do what Auburn, Auburn does. He wants to run it. You know you know how Miles on does the roll it 
you know, snap the ball mm-hmm. and then, you know, yeah. that. I love play rolling play I love seeing him. I'm, I love seeing him getting that rhythm on the sideline. But if you're Florida, you need to you need to go with your strengths, and no matter what they are, that's what you need to do. And I think Muschamp, you know, this is his year to to actually come in and and decide, take it more serious, and realize this is his last year. Probably if he doesn't do well, at least get a good bowl game, win nine games in the regular season. I think he could be in some trouble, but nothing embarrassing like this year. But, Paul, just wanted to clear that up with you real quick. Uh, Mac Brown. Real quick Texas, side note on that. All right, go ahead. Real quick side note on that, that Fresno State-Southern Cal game, the two offensive coordinators in that game were the two leading candidates for our offensive coordinator position. Yeah. Oh, that, that makes me want to take the over in that game then. There'll be a job interview really uh, to yeah. see. But, guys, I want to ask you all something and, and tell me if I'm – if I'm wrong here, but why does Texas think they can have any coach they want to? And I'll start with you, Paul. Uh, I've been trying to – me and Jonathan talked about it a little bit the other night on the website, and, and I'll get into it the same way. Texas, to me, is a top-five job. On the field right now, no. But when you go there, just everything that you have at your hands, everything that you can expense, I'm talking about the highest revenue in athletics, college football, some of the best facilities. Uh, Texas, yes, I know Texas A&M's there and all that, but really if you get a good name in at Texas, you know, Texas Texas usually has all their recruiting ended, ended before you even get to January. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just you have everything. You know, they got the money, they got, you know, the only thing that you have to worry about is is your uh, Bill Powers, the president, and your regents boards, basically Jerry Jones. Okay. Well, Jonathan, what do you think real quick before we go? Uh, you know, Texas obviously is number one on Forbes' list for most valuable college football team, just in the money they generate and all that, and I understand. And, you know, it, it's Texas, though, they're they're really having to compete against Texas A&M now. Texas A&M's really got a, a brand going on. And you still got to remember, they're still fighting Oklahoma for recruits. A lot, you know, it's very interesting how I think Texas has this whole we can get whoever we want mentality, and in all reality, I don't think they can. I don't. I don't think it really does work that way. If it if it did, you know, they'd probably be a little better than they have been. And when you bring up Mac, you know, the recruiting and how they're usually done by January, that nit Mac Brown in the butt many times. Because he had already, you know, he was one of the first coaches to come in and essentially offer juniors and then offer sophomores and then offer freshmen. You know, he was one of those guys who started that trend. And what happened, though, was he'd have all these commitments as juniors and then there would be guys opening up going, well, we kind of want to go to Texas. And Mac Brown's sitting there going, well, unless we have somebody depart, we don't have room for you. And cough, cough, RG3. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, our, you know when they – stacked their chips on Garrett Gilbert, number two high school quarterback in the nation. It was – it really set the program back. I compared it to uh, Drew Weatherford for Florida State. You know, a lot of people forget that he was, you know, an elite 11 quarterback. Um, you know, but that's the problem is you have, like, RG3. And then when J- Jameis Winston essentially said, I want to go to Texas his senior year in high school, and they really didn't give him a look. You know, that was that, that kind of was just like, well, why wouldn't you? He's the number one quarterback recruit in the nation. You know, I'm coming out of high school. You you have to 
you have to at least do your due diligence. And from what everybody said was, Mac wasn't even interested. You know, and I think that became the downfall was that he was recruiting guys so early, he was forgetting about recruiting guys their senior year. He was just hoping his guys would stick. Yeah. Well, guys, um, I think Mac Brown, you know, was I think he was treated bad, but I think he can blame himself for a lot of this too, the way he handled uh, the media and some of the things. So, I mean, Texas is a good job, no doubt, but they're going to get somebody. But I'm thinking more they want somebody in college, but I was thinking maybe somebody in the NFL, but we'll see. I mean, this is a great job to have, and it's going to be interesting now that Saban's out of the picture. You never know Malzahn, Fisher. I don't think Malzahn would, or I'm hoping Malzahn would. That would be, that would be terrible out there after after seeing what he did in one year. Fisher, you know, he's been at Florida State a while. He might as well strike while the iron's hot and get out if he wins a national championship. I mean, his stock's at an all-time high. I don't think it could get much higher. So we'll see. Jonathan and Paul, thanks for joining us tonight. And going away, you know, I was going to play in Florida State for Jonathan here. Going away, President, for joining us tonight. But go ahead, I do have Paul. a quick question, Brian. Hey, I, wanna, I want you and Jonathan's opinion on this, and I think it's something we should bring up. What is the over-under in chances on Peyton Manning either tying or breaking the touchdown record this weekend? He needs three to tie, four to break. Yeah, he's going to break it. Who, who do they have this week? Do you know my fans? Um, not off the top of my head. That's not one of our games, but there's somebody who looks mad. They're playing a piss ass. Um, Let's see here. They are playing at Houston Texans. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Break. Yeah, probably by halftime. Yeah, probably by halftime. Oh, that's nasty. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to sign on with y'all and say that Peyton breaks the record this week and makes it almost untouchable next week against Oakland. And how crazy is that, Brian? The first, first quarterback to hit 50,000 passing yards and 50-plus touchdowns. That's that's pretty good, man. That's a, Man, that's that's unbelievable. And I think that's being overshadowed right now with this craziness going on in the NFL. But great question, Paul. We'll be back Sunday night for sure. I know it's getting close to the holidays, but we have to keep going. But for Jonathan, it's closing for you. Here you go, buddy. Yeah, baby.
All right, guys, that's uh, two fights. So with the defenses, the way the offenses go, you might hear that a lot January 6th. But take care. We'll see you Sunday night at 830. Guys, have a great week. Good night. All right, you too. All right, Brian. All right.